Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. It's good to be back. <coughs> and uh, um, I've been many different places over the weeks. Uh, last week was in Vandalia. Uh, week before that was in Georgia and uh, going all over the place. <coughs> so it's always good to be here uh, home. And I'm excited. A couple of things before we jump into the message. Um, some of you may have heard that there is um, this, uh, an expectation, really uh, a chorus of prophetic voices talking about a one billion soul harvest. How many have heard that term? Just a few of you. All right. <clears throat> All over the world, there's a lot of different prophetic voices, and I'm not going to go into the details of it, but uh, we are really believing that we are on the cusp of a, a one billion soul harvest. That means that a billion people are going to accept Jesus Christ as Lord. I don't believe that's in a generation. I don't believe that's in the next couple of decades. I believe it's within the next couple of years. Right now, there's between 2 and 3 billion Christians on planet Earth. Christianity is the largest religion of all world religions by far. And uh, there are uh, between 2 and 3 billion. But I believe that it's going to go to between 3 and 4 billion within the next few years. That God is positioned. This is all kinds of indicators. And one of the deals about that is... <clears throat> The majority of those uh, believers are going to be in Asia and Africa. And you know why? Because there's, there's a majority of people there. <laughs> no trick questions. All right. Listen, we Americans, we got about 350 million people. Boom. All right. You know, that's just one little neighborhood in China. <laughs> they have 2 billion, over 2 billion people. And India, I just read this. India is going to surpass China's population. Uh, I couldn't remember. I don't remember if it was by 2030 or by 2050. So, so hopefully within my lifetime, <clears throat> there will be more people in India than in China. And so, just because there's so many more people, uh, that, that's where many of them. But you know what? God's not going to leave America behind, and we need to believe that we're going to be part of the one billion soul harvest. That we're going to see fruit of that here in America and here in Kalamazoo. But in order, if we really believe it, it means we're going to start talking about it and we're going to talk about it like we believe it. Amen. You, know, you can talk about some things like you don't believe it, but we need to start talking about like this. So there's a, a billion soul. And this ties in because... <clears throat> Uh, right now, this morning, there's three different congregations uh, of New Day Community Church. And of course, there's lots of other churches, but we're New Day Community Church. And I'm excited that uh, we have the church going in Vandalia. They just finished up their service. And we have uh, our two services here. And then New Day South Carolina have two services. Count each service as a congregation. That'd be five different uh, services this morning uh, just from us. And that's exciting. I find it to be extremely exciting that uh, Scott and I, Scott Jones, the pastor of uh, New Day South Carolina, we're in Georgia. We did a men's retreat uh, two weeks ago and it was great. I, I was up Sunday morning. We were having a great service. Uh, Holy Ghost fell. People got filled with the Holy Spirit. And almost everybody ended up on the floor. It was a, it was a fun time, wasn't it, Sean? <clears throat> Sean and Chris went with me. And, uh, and I went up to Scott and I said, Isn't this great? You and I are here. And right now in, in Kalamazoo, there's two services going. There's a service in Vandalia and a service in, in, in uh, Somerville. Isn't this great? Scott was like, Yeah, and we're just here. It's just fun. And uh, just to let you know that there's... There's at least, let's just say there's two and a half more uh, 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 New Days Brewing. And I can't explain it. One, one's already on, it's, it's Facebook official. We're launching a church in London, England. Come on. Is that cool? 
That's just so I have a good reason to go to London. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so the vision, the re- reason this ties in, is that the vision for us as a church is to multiply and to produce leaders. And that's one reason why we rotate speakers. I'm not here every Sunday. Have you noticed? I met someone that was uh, here uh, first service, and they'd been coming for several weeks. It was the first time I'd met them. They'd already volunteered to help in nursery. And I had, praise God, <laughs> hallelujah, our prayers are being answered. New folks coming in, they've been, they're like, yeah, we love this church, we're plugged in. I'm like, well, I'm glad to finally meet you. Um, and so, but the, the vision for that is we want to raise up leaders. And let me tell you why. If a billion people get saved in the next couple of years... We're going to need leaders. Generally, there's one pastor, one full-time minister for every hundred uh, believers. But let's just, let's just stretch that and say there's going to be one full-time person in ministry for every 200 believers. That means we're going to need 5 million pastors. So between 5 and 10 million people who can lead, whether or not they're full-time or not, whether or not they're paid ministry, we're going to need 5 to 10 million leaders. And so we are... We are it's not the easiest way to do church. But we do it this way. And I invite you to be part of this, to embrace it, and say, yeah, this is a little different. Same pastor isn't there every day. But that's a good thing, because there's more people who have more opportunity. Um, and that's what we're going for. So, are you on board? Yeah. Good, I appreciate that. Well, we're going through the series of, uh, uh, on our core values. And we've uh, and this uh, uh, month, we're talking about the Father's heart for the lost and oppressed. And uh, it's a continuation of understanding God as our loving Father. And we're just going to start off with uh, John 3.16, very familiar verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. So Jesus came to save the world, not to bring condemnation, but to bring salvation. And the big point about this is that it was motivated by the love of God. God God so loved. You know, I, God's like, I so love the world. I so love the world. Even in its, the condition that it was in, He was motivated as an expression of that love to send Jesus, His Son, to, 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 uh, to free uh, the world. The Father Heart message highlights this loving nature. It puts, puts the emphasis on God as a loving Father, understanding who He is as a, as a Father who loves us, as opposed to a distant, uh, a distorted view of God as a distant, angry judge. And realizing, wow, the true nature is that God's loving. And He does everything possible to rescue and redeem His creation. That's what it means. God so loved the world. You know what the, the word world is? Bless you, Dan. You know what the, in, God so loved the world, John 3.16. You know what the word world means in the Greek? World! Wow! That, that, 
wow, that was really hard. <coughs> it means the world. It means the whole, actually, you know, the whole system. It means all the people that live in it and the world. He actually, enough to send. He, he, he's a father who wants to rescue his creation and all the people in his creation. So Jesus gave, or uh, God the Father sent Jesus his son as the ultimate expression of that love. And so that means something very important. That, mean that, that means that God loves all of mankind. Every man, woman, and child on planet Earth. And frankly, I believe planet Earth itself and all of his creation. He loves it. And especially the people. He loves every man, woman, and child as, with the same love that he has for Jesus. <gasps> the same love that he has for Jesus? Can you really believe that? Well, he demonstrates that by sending Jesus. Alright? What you give in exchange for something is of equal value for that thing that you're exchanging. And so he demonstrates. What a, I mean, this is why he did it. This is why God did it. Is to show us the measure of his love by sending, by commute. That's how he communicated it. He values uh, every man. So he has the same love for every man, woman, child as he does with Jesus. That's why Jesus came. That was a motivation. And First John uh, chapter four it says it this way: <clears throat> In this, the love of God was manifested toward us. Manifested means make known so that you can see it, so that you can understand it. So this is how the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation. That's a big word. for It means the atoning sacrifice uh, for our sin. See, the fact is, God has always loved us. And us being every man, woman, and child on planet Earth. Okay? Everyone. Jesus did not come to convince the Father to love the world. But to convince the world the Father loves us. Right? And there's this distorted view that Jesus, you know, God's angry judge, but Jesus came and died on the cross to keep God's wrath from coming down on, on every man and woman, uh, on you. No, no, no. Jesus did not come to convince the Father to love us. He already loved us. He came because the Father loved us. Alright? Jesus came to convince the world how much, and to show the world, how much the Father loves them and loves us. Our love is always in response to God's love, and that was initiated or demonstrated um, by Jesus Christ. And that's true of us, us being those who have already come into the knowledge of that, us being those who've experienced and and confessed and agreement um, that love. It's equally true. Say equally true. Okay, to every man, woman, child. Well, Cameron, do you mean every man, woman, child on planet Earth? Well, yes, yes, Cameron. I actually mean every man, woman. Well, certainly, Cameron, you don't mean those people. I actually especially mean those people. Okay? Because it's those people who need God's love the most. Well, I don't know if I can handle that. Well, that means you're one of those people. <laughs> right? Whatever it is, you know. I think one of the, uh, you know, I don't know him personally, but this Kim guy in uh, North Korea, 
Have you heard of him? Yeah. You know, I was praying for his, that God to deal with his dad or, or, or take his dad. You know, this is my prayer when it gets to a certain point. Like, God, get him redeemed or get him out of here. And then his dad dies and his son comes along. He's just as bad, uh, but younger. And so he's killing people. I mean, there's millions of people. It's just crazy. And uh, I, I, I personally have met people that know Christians who have been killed just for going into North Korea uh, to preach the gospel. The government poisons them and kills them. <clears throat> and so it's just horrible. Uh, I know several, I've met several ministers that secretly go into North Korea and they've told me what it's really like. Um, God loves Kim, whatever his first name is, I can't remember it. Uh, yeah. Enough to send Jesus Christ to die on the cross. Whether he responds or not, God's already initiated. All right, God loves. God loves that Dar- that uh, Darwin is the atheist guy. What's the guy's name? Huh? Dawkins. Darwin. Uh, Darwin. He's, I'm sure God loves Darwin, but Dawkins. <laughs> Dawkins is alive right now. God loves him. God just loves him. He loves him. He'd die for him. All right? Uh, even though he, you know, that guy hates Christians. <clears throat> he himself is a sacrifice that atones. So God loves your worst enemy. Loves him. Loves him. You know? Uh, your worst enemy is... You're, you're closer... Uh, you're more like your worst enemy than you're like Jesus. All right? And God loves you, so it's it's not hard for God to love that person, <laughs> All right? Really? So He Himself is a sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not for our sins, uh, not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Wow! He Himself, Jesus. I love it when the Bible says, like, does that double. Uh, uh, I forget what it was called. It's he himself, or God himself, or Jesus himself. And so he himself is Jesus himself. It's it's expressing the personal nature that he's actively involved. Uh, a, a leader of a business will delegate most things in the company to other people in the business. That's actually good leadership. Is delegation as a pastor. My primary job is to get you people to do as much as I can, okay, in the church, and me to do as little as it. My job is to get other people to do the work of ministry. That is the definition of a minister's job. A uh, leader's job in the church is to facilitate other people to do the actual ministry. But there's some things that I can't delegate. I actually teach pastors. I go to uh, conferences and talk to pastors, and I'll, I'll say, these are the things you can't delegate. These are the things. There's certain things that are just... That, that it, it is your responsibility by definition of your position. <clears throat> well, Jesus' responsibility he took this upon himself. He saw it as this is the thing. I can't delegate this, man. I'm the one who has to come and be the sacrifice uh, that atones for our sin. And not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. There's this crazy belief system that's out in the world. And it's held by a lot of really good Bible-believing Christians that they think, maybe you've never heard of this and hopefully you haven't, but if you have, I'm just here to tell you I disagree with it. <clears throat> Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. It's clearly stated. There's this idea that Jesus didn't die for the sins of the whole world. He only died for the sins of those who get saved. It's called limited atonement. And I'm like, what? No, he died for the sins of every man, woman, and child. Whether whether they receive that determines if uh, they benefit 
from that atonement. Okay? He's opened up the door, but he won't force a person out of the prison. Okay? Does that make sense? But the price has already been paid. There's nothing. This, this actually emphasizes the, the totality of the work of the cross. It doesn't diminish it in any way. It's that there's nothing else that can happen. There's not like, some, not, something else. It's, Jesus paid the price on the cross for everyone. If they don't walk out of the prison cell, if they don't leave uh, their rebellion and, and confess Christ, then Jesus is just. It's the righteousness of God uh, portrayed. <clears throat> so God is passionately in love with every person and creation to the point of sending uh, Jesus um, and He prompts us to, to go as Jesus' ambassadors to those who are lost, those who are hurting, those who are poor. The purpose of this message, just to be clear, I was supposed to say this in the beginning, is to communicate God's love, the Father's love for the lost and oppressed. For us, of course, but we need to get... In order to really understand, I want you to understand the Father, that He cares about the lost and oppressed. And we're going to talk about what that means. Um, Jesus came as the expression of the love of God. God so loved the world that He sent Jesus. So Jesus is the expression of the Father's love. So if we want to know the Father, we just look at what Jesus came to do. What Jesus came to do is the, is the, revelation or the manifestation of what was in uh, the Father's heart. So we're going to look at Jesus talking about what He came to do. Jesus actually told us really clearly. We find it in Luke chapter 4. So, so He came to Nazareth where He was brought up and as His custom was... So, it's interesting, the Bible actually says that Jesus' custom was... That means every Saturday He went to church. He went to Sabbath. Sabbath. That's the Jewish people celebrated, uh, worshipped uh, publicly on, on Saturday, on the Sabbath. <clears throat> and so that was just his custom. He went to church. And I think if you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, you should, should be like Jesus. Right? Every week you go into a weekly celebration. Uh, Christians celebrate the resurrection, which happened on a Sunday. And so that's why we celebrate on Sunday. We enter into the Sabbath rest, which is Jesus. That's another sermon. Uh, uh, verse 17 and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah says and he opened to the book and found the place where it was written so he finds this, this scripture in Isaiah now let me set the stage a little bit here everybody in that synagogue had heard this verse countless times they went to church you know, as kids, they went to, they went to uh, Sabbath school, uh, not Sabbath school, but they went to Bible classes, uh, Torah classes every day. Um, and uh, as adults, they would worship every, every week in the synagogue and go to the temple at least three times a year. This, they'd heard this verse, and the reason they heard this verse was that the Bible, the teachers back then knew that this was uh, what the Messiah was going to do. This was the Messiah's job description. So they were waiting. They were all waiting for the Messiah to come, expecting Him to come, to free Him from the slavery that they were under uh, to the Roman uh, occupation. They were looking for this. So Jesus finds this verse and says, The Spirit of the Lord... It's all caps because it's quoting from the Old Testament. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the Gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to uh, <coughs> to set at liberty those he didn't say that <laughs> he might have <laughs> to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all 
who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. They were all fixed on him because, wow, Jesus said this in a particular way. And then he said, uh, you know, and he, and he didn't keep talking about it. He just read the scripture and sat down and there was a hush. Like, what's going on here? Now what? Uh, and when everybody's looking at him, he said, he began to say, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And so he is making an outrageous claim. The very claim that he later was crucified for making. Okay? Uh, that he was the fulfillment of that scripture. And a little thing about here that some people misunderstand is that fulfilled doesn't mean brought to an end or conclusion. It means brought to the fullness. Alright? So in other words, this is it. We're launching this part now. Okay? Launched. Does that make sense? Not finished, but begun. And, and all of the Old Covenant was up until this moment. The whole of the Old Covenant, from, from the moment uh, Adam and Eve sinned and the promise in the garden that there would be a, a, a Savior uh, from uh, her womb, the crushed Satan, led up to the revealing of the Messiah. And here he is. And boom! This is it! I'm the one. You know, and, it's, this is, and that means, because we are Christians, we are living in Christ, we are living in that fulfillment. Okay? So we can say, today... Say today. today. This scripture yes. is fulfilled in your hearing. Because we are speaking in Christ. All right? This means, this applies today. All right, now what we're really going to talk about is the implications of that. He came to preach the gospel to the poor. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. This was the manifestation... Uh, this is what Jesus was doing as the manifestation of the heart of the Father. That's the main point of this sermon. Everything Jesus did reveals the Father. Jesus says, you want to see the Father? Look at me. If you see me, you see the Father. I'm, he's the perfect expression of the Father. This is what Jesus did. This reveals, reveals the Father's love. So the purpose of this message is to understand the Father. Once we understand the Father, then we can start living in the Father's love and experience it ourselves. So, <clears throat> the anointing was to preach the gospel to the poor. The purpose of the anointing is not to feel spiritual, get famous, or have a ministry. It's to meet the needs of the poor. Yeah. Right? I love feeling the anointing. Right? We love, we are an anointing church. We are that kind of church. We're one of those kind of churches. Uh, if you hang around here long enough, you'll feel it. Right? Because I believe that you're supposed to feel it. God created us with five senses. God says, come taste and see that I'm good. He never says, come think about it. And taste it. Alright? Experience it. But that experience, that anointing experience is not about just feeling spiritual, getting famous, or having a ministry. That's not what the anointing is for. According to Jesus, the anointing is to publish, to preach, to communicate, to demonstrate words and actions, the good news to people who are poor. Alright, so who are the poor? Literally means reduce the begging, destitute of wealth, influence, position, and honor. And I say, so that's just naturally poor, and that's understandable. But you can be rich and not have honor. Right? You can have a position in the world, but have no position in God. Alright? So let's, let's broad, there's poor people in our community. Right. America is really good at hiding our poor. Seriously. Uh, but then, then you just need to, if you haven't gone there yet, even if you haven't been to a country where people are dying on the street from starvation, you just need to put that on the top of your list. 
Yeah. Right? No, you're not called there. But you need to see it. And you need to come back and realize there's millions and millions of people like that. It changes you. First time I saw it, every, every time I think of four, I think of that woman with the two little kids on her lap. And I was walking by and there was nothing I could do. There was nothing I could do. I was completely powerless to help her. You know? And then, and then I saw them everywhere. My God. But it also means, Isaiah 61, the verse that Jesus is quoting from, in the Hebrew it means afflicted. That means depressed. How many of you know somebody that's depressed? How many are somebody that's depressed? <laughs> you know, we all go through depression. That means in mind or circumstances. Jesus came to preach. The anointing is to communicate good news to people who are suffering depression and affliction and poverty. Uh, Jesus' mission was to proclaim that good news to people stuck in that condition. Uh, Why? It's because the Father cares about the poor. In every definition, He cares about those who are emotionally poor. He cares about those who are hungry, going to bed hungry. He cares about that. Uh, This is a picture of a trash can. I'm sure it was probably in America. Uh, on, the, on the trash can is a, is a sticker that someone put. It says, I eat better than 60% of the world's children. Just in this room, for lunch, we will throw away more food than what most people eat in a day. That breaks the heart of God. That moves the heart of God to the point of sending Jesus. And some, it's easier to understand the compassion when you talk about physical hunger. hunger. But it's equally true talking about a spiritual hunger, emotional hunger, all of the types that God cares for the hunger of every man, woman, and child. So don't react to the poor and the oppressed and afflicted merely politically. And it's okay to have a political opinion or out of an economic theory. And I know that your political opinion is really the best political opinion <laughs> and would really solve the problem. And your economic theory is much better than your, the other person's economic theory. And if they just implement your theory and your politics, then all the poor would go away instantly. All right. <clears throat> so far, I've never seen government solve the world's problems. All right. doesn't mean there's not a place for government. Uh, what I'm asking you is, don't just look at it politically or economically. Look at it through the eyes of the Father. What would the Father do? Um, Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted, uh, to cure, to make whole, to free uh, from errors and sin. Broken, <clears throat> the brokenhearted is two words. Broken is people that are crushed, people that are shattered, people that are bruised. <clears throat> and hearted means the heart is the soul or the mind. It's the fountain and seat. Listen to this list of a person's thoughts, passions, desires, appetites, affections, purposes, and endeavors. Ooh, wow, that's a pretty deep list, isn't it? You know? So, uh, a person's heart is, is where their thoughts come from, where their passions and their desires, their appetites come from. And listen, people are poor 
or broken and shattered in their thought life, in their passions. How many people are, are their passions are just shattered? They don't know. They're passionate about stuff that actually destroys them, and not passionate about things that bring them life. And they don't even know that because their thoughts are broken and shattered. All right. And I've been broken, and I have this, and other people. Right? And so Jesus came to heal that, to restore that. That, that moves God's heart. All right? That's what Jesus came. And it moves, cause, and it moves God's heart because He cares. He really, really cares. He is, his heart is broken at the brokenness of His children. All right? He cares enough to send Jesus. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came. <clears throat> Liberty to the captives, to proclaim, to announce, this is it. There's freedom to everyone that's held captive. And liberty means releasing from bondage or imprisonment. I like this part. Forgiveness or pardon of sin. Letting them go as if they had never been committed. Wow! Do you realize that when Jesus declares liberty, the idea of liberty is that you're free from from your sin as though it had never been committed. How many want that in their lives? Right? Well, that's what God wants for every man, woman, and child. Listen, every person that's experiencing shame, and even ungodly people who are wicked and nasty, experience shame. Alright? And then they numb that shame through, usually through substance abuse or entertainment or distraction. And that's why they, they, they do what they do because they have to get more intense into that distraction or that addiction in order to numb the pain because the pain of the shame is so intense. And so what, we're, what we look at and find so disdainful to respond to is going, oh, that's so gross, is actually the, the medication of their spiritual pain. Yeah. You know, and we need to see, oh, underneath it, the reason for that is a shame. And, and, and the truth is that Jesus already took care of that shame. He already paid the price. They don't have to bear that shame. They really don't. They don't know it. That's why Jesus came to proclaim it. Alright? For everyone. For you, but for your worst enemy. For the person you don't like, or the person who abused you, or the person who lied to you. And you, <laughs> captives, prisoners of war. Uh, every man, every person is a prisoner of war because we're stuck in this battle between God and Satan. But we're not innocent victims; we're actually conspirators. Makes it worse, doesn't it? You know, after World War II, <clears throat> a lot of Europe was under the dominion of the Nazi regime. A lot of those people in France and, and uh, the Netherlands and different places were conspirators. In other words, they worked with the Nazis. And once the Allies came and set those countries free, guess what? Now they were on the bad side. Right? And unfortunately, a lot of the peoples that didn't give in to the Nazi regime found those people that did, and they didn't treat them very nicely, did they? You know what I'm talking about? They would find the conspirators that, that worked with the, the Nazi regime, and they just killed them. Most of them just got killed. But who knows why they, why they were conspirators? Maybe they did it because their ki- they had kids, and they had to feed their family, and it was the only way. Maybe did it maybe because they were terrified. They didn't know what else to do. Uh, they were threatened. Maybe they agreed, and they were just evil. 
but are they deceived? Who knows? The fact is, every one of us are conspirators with the enemy. Right? If you've sinned, you're a slave to sin. Satan uh, has held you bondage in some way that you're a conspirator. But God isn't willing to leave anybody behind. He's come up with this grand scheme of deliverance to rescue everyone who responds. And the reason is because that bondage breaks the heart of the Father. He, he doesn't want that to continue. Whatever kind of bondage anybody's in um, <clears throat> causes God to respond. And He responds by coming into the camp of the enemy. He invades the prison camp. All right, Single-handedly, Jesus invaded and broke the chains, broke the bonds, and said, you can come. You're free. Everyone who's willing, follow me. That's why he says, follow me. Come out of this. All right? Because that's the heart of the Father. Recovery of sight to the blind. Same thing, you know. uh, Jesus went around healing blind people and he's still doing it today. But the biggest problem is the billions who are mentally and spiritually blind. Their, Their minds and their spirits are clouded. They're unable to see clearly the truth. And Jesus came to set them free. It says in Corinthians that even if our gospel is hid... Uh, it's veiled, it's hidden to those who are perishing, whose mind the God of this age is blinded, who do not believe, least the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So we see that there's this, this warfare uh, for the people that are lost. And Jesus came to rip that, that veil and to open up and to allow and to remove every obstacle so that the light could shine in uh, as part of his, uh, his mission because uh, that moves the heart of God. God the Father doesn't want people wandering around blind and manipulated. Come on. <clears throat> as parents, do we want our kids to, to wander out and get hurt? And the little kids are... You know, as a kid gets away, you know, where's, where's, our little one was Emily, she was always running around, where's Emily now, you know, couldn't keep track of her. There's a moment of panic, on the street, you know, you know, disappears in the store, somebody grab her, and he's searching all over the place. Well, God doesn't panic, but he's concerned, he knows, he doesn't want people harmed by their own uh, foolishness or by uh, the manipulation of the enemy. Uh, all right, liberty for the oppressed, freedom. Same word is uh, uh, letting go as if the, the sin had never been uh, committed. Total freedom. And this word for the oppressed, it's uh, uh, this resource, I think, describes it well. It's Richardson's word pictures. It's an old verb. It's only used the one time in the New Testament. It means to break in pieces, broken in heart, and often in body as well. So uh, Jesus came to, to set free those who are oppressed. But this oppressed means broken in pieces in heart and body, <clears throat> uh, like somebody broke them up. Uh, one loves to think, I like this part, one loves to think that Jesus felt it to be his mission to mend broken hearts like pieces of broken earthenware or pottery. Real rescue mission work. Jesus mends them and sets them free from their limitations. And so that's what Jesus does. He takes broken. We're all broken. Everyone is broken. Jesus' mission, the expression of the heart of the Father, is to come and take those pieces, put them back together, uh, give them freedom, uh, help them fulfill their purposes, because that uh, brokenness moves God's heart. He wants to respond. He has responded by sending uh, Jesus. All right. 
to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This is the last part of it. That God's uh, passion and Jesus' purpose is to proclaim the acceptable year. This is the day of salvation. Uh, in an acceptable time, I have heard you, it says in Second Corinthians, in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And the whole point in Second in Corinthians, the context there, as well as when Jesus said it, is, is now. Okay? It's now. Everybody say now. now. It's not when Jesus did it. When Paul wrote that, that was decades after Jesus did it. He's saying this applies to us here and now. That we are to proclaim, hey, it's time to be accepted. To experience acceptance. We are living in the day of salvation. That's what we're going to see. If, we, church, if the church uh, uh, grabs hold of this, we can see a billion people come into salvation. Yeah. One-seventh of the world's population that aren't already Christian. That's going to have an effect. You have seven people in a room, and you change one person's life from being oppressed to being free, they're going to affect the other, aren't they? Let's change the, the, let's change the culture of the whole world. The whole world. That's what I want. So the response uh, uh, the, the, is, the mission is the poor hear good news, the brokenhearted receive healing. Uh, the captives find freedom, the blind find sight, the oppressed find liberty, and the Father's heart is revealed by the proclamation of acceptance. I'm going to ask Anthony to come up, lead us in a few minutes of response and prayer, just in reflecting on these truths. Will you welcome him? Wow. Good news, healing, freedom, sight, and liberty. Hmm. Let's, man, I'm just, this is so old school. Well, let's, let's do it old school. Let's just have everybody close their eyes. And I'm a firm believer in mighty moments. I believe that there are before this and after this line-drawing moments in life, and I would just like to have one this morning. So, if, if we have neglected the poor, if we have not been concerned for them in a real tangible way, God, we repent. I repent, God. I repent right now for not taking the poor as my responsibility because I bear the ministry of reconciliation. I am supposed to be you to this world. And for every time that I have looked away on purpose and for every time that I have had it in my hand to help and I have not done so, I am sorry. I am sorry. And I draw a line this morning and I say, I will notice. I will not look away. And I will trust you to give me ability to help where it's needed. Lord, when I have been brokenhearted and I have not looked to you for healing, or when I have judged someone else that is brokenhearted and said, get over it or toughen up, I repent. I repent for judging those that go through the very same thing that I go through, for the depressed, for the melancholy, for the eyes that look more towards the floor than straight ahead or up, Lord. I repent. And I ask you to bring healing in my own life from brokenheartedness. And I ask you to bring healing to others. And I ask that I would get to be the conduit that brings your joy and brings your life, God. Give me the words to speak. Give me the ability to do the hug or the pat on the back, Lord. Use me, God. I draw a line and I choose to be that person today. God, for the captives, to anything, to addiction, to mindsets, to beliefs. (laughs) 
I don't want to be that guy. Show me, God, where I am still a captive. Show me how I am anesthetizing myself to my pain in ways that don't help me, God. Show me where I can be better. God, I just ask you to reveal that right now to our hearts. What are we using? What are we using that's not you to blind ourselves to what you want to heal? God, we see that thing and we grab it. And we decide today, this will no longer take your place. We'll no longer hide behind this. We'll no longer use this to numb us. We give it to you. God, we trust you for that healing. Lord, open our eyes to where we're blind to all of these things. And where we are oppressed, God, where we are broken and shattered, I pray that you bring liberty. Finally, I want... Hmm. I just want to end this response time by saying that the scripture says in Hebrews 3 that today, if you hear his voice, today, like Pastor said, today, do not harden your hearts. It is so easy to say, Holy Spirit, I feel you, conviction, I feel you, emotion and passion, I feel you, but not right now, maybe later. But today, I choose not to harden my heart. And if you're in here and you do not know Jesus, if you have not accepted the fact that His atonement was for you, His sacrifice included you, His love includes you, regardless, it includes you. He loves you. Today, respond. Today, the Scripture is fulfilled that healing has come. Sight has come. Wholeness has come. So Jesus, we just say right now, we draw the line and we choose you. I choose to accept what you've done, God. I choose to receive your sacrifice. Count me in. Count me in. I want that healing. I want that sight. I don't want to be brokenhearted anymore. I don't want to hurt anymore. I don't want to be depressed. I don't want to use things to numb my pain that you came to take away. I don't want to hide from my shame that you came to take away, God. Restore me. And today I choose that. I draw that line. And I'm in. I take your hand in Jesus' name. Amen. Whew. If you prayed any of those things and you want to solidify that, I would just encourage you to come up to the prayer team right over here. Come up to the prophetic team over here. And 